Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chizeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We'll touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about DataFest 2019, this year's iteration of the ASA-sponsored undergraduate data competition. And then we talk about how Facebook data can provide some insight into migration patterns after a natural disaster. Let's get started. DataFest is an annual weekend-long data competition for undergraduate students sponsored by the American Statistical Association. This year's DataFest occurred between the third weekend in March to the first weekend in May. Wait, that's longer than a weekend, Susan. Good observation, Jesse. <laughs> the competition actually occurs in multiple locations across the country during that time period. And this is to make it easier for more students to participate without having to travel long distances. At each location, the competition occurs over the course of a single weekend, um, and each competition uses the same data set. At the end of the competition weekend, there are winners selected. So for example, our own students at Yale competed in the local competition at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut on April 5th through April 7th. And I hear that you served as a judge at one of the DataFest competitions this year. Is that right, Susan? Indeed. I served as a judge at the five colleges data fest that took place from March 29th to 31st at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in Massachusetts. And uh, I've been dying to talk about what it was like, but we've been under oath not to breathe a word until the last of the data fest competitions wrap up. I've had to avoid our very own students who compete from Yale during the five-day period after I served as a judge and before their competition. <laughs> so, so you ignored them? them whenever you ran into them? No, actually, I'm kidding. Um, but I did want to offer some personal opinions about how to prepare for this event, and I wanted to make sure that I did offer these opinions before judging to ensure I didn't provide any extra information, even unconsciously, that might have been unfairly obtained. Well, it sounds like the period of silence is over. So what can you tell us about DataFest 2019? Yeah, let's start first by talking about the structure of the event. So on Friday night, there is a particular data set that gets unveiled with possible motivating questions of inquiry. And undergraduate students participating in teams of three to five begin to start working on this data set. They have until Sunday noon, I think, to explore, analyze, and then finally dis distill their discoveries in a compact presentation lasting no more than 10 minutes. Um, at the one that I judged for, I think they only had five minutes to present, and they get something like four slides, so the content needs to be really, really condensed. And then judging takes place Sunday afternoon, kind of like how you see American Idol on TV. We sit in the front row as the students present, we ask questions, give comments, and then make decisions about who the winners are. Wow, that sounds pretty intense from the student's perspective. Definitely. I, I appreciate that there's a rule about how you're not allowed to work on the data set overnight. I don't know how enforceable this is, but the idea is to ensure that this doesn't get too out of hand and burn people out. So what data set was used for this year's competition? This was unusual, actually. Um, so in previous years, there have been a lot of data from corporations like eHarmony for online dating, admins.com for looking at used car sale prices, Expedia.com for finding travel 
Um, so this year's data set actually came from the Canadian women's national rugby team. In comparison to what prior year's data sets look like, this data set was on the small side. There's a lot of information on game level data as well as GPS data for players within each game. And then there's information on wellness and self-reported effort by players, for example, during training sessions. Was there a, a prompt or some sort of research question posed? The general prompt here was about how to best characterize or predict player fatigue. This is challenging because fatigue is mostly self-reported in the data set. There's not a good objective measure of fatigue to work with. I'm actually not sure how much more detail I'm allowed to provide because, frankly, everyone was told expressly to delete the data sets immediately at the conclusion of the event. I wasn't sure if this is just to avoid leaks to future DataFest contestants who are competing in April and May or if this was to avoid espionage by other rugby teams. <laughs> Could you say a bit about um, what judging for the event was like? That I think I can do. So let me start off with saying that this is clearly a challenging data set prompt to do over the course of a weekend at the venue of the competition. I'm sure that if the students were allowed to work on this in the comfort of their own dorm rooms with a couple more days, they'd probably be able to do a lot more. This is really a mental sprint and even the best marathon runners may not be good sprinters. Yeah, I, I think um, a real danger with short competitions like this is that you might have kind of gone off the beaten track and gotten lost in the woods. And you know, even if you become aware of that mid competition, you might feel so committed to staying on that path because you've already spent so much so much of the you know the weekend time to do it that's what I think might have happened with a lot of teams so what I would like to do is maybe erect some signposts say do not enter that might be generally helpful for competitions like this maybe this is a bit ambitious but I think there are some paths that we ought to avoid from the get-go to minimize time wasting and more importantly minimize the risk of succumbing to this sunk cost fallacy let's hear it Okay, so first commonly observed symptom, placing too much faith in sophisticated methods like random forests, neural networks, and so on. So I think part of this occurs because um, students who have taken more advanced courses in statistics feels, feel like the heavy statistical machinery is their competitive advantage. When there's not a whole lot of data, though, it just doesn't make sense to appeal to super complicated methods. And if you do have enough data to fit something complex, always make sure that it's justified by out-of-sample prediction accuracy. So just for classification, that might be looking at classification error. For regression, that might be looking at mean squared error or something like R squared. And for classification problems, you should always ask if your model can do better than just blind guessing, that is blindly predicting the dominant class. <laughs> yes, that's good advice in general. And I'd say it seems like um, there's a tendency in, in research also to just want to use the newest, most sophisticated methods, but really a simple approach can um, you know, at times be faster, perform better, and then be easier to interpret. Yeah, and that last part, easier to interpret, is really critical um, in competitions like this because if you've got something so complicated you can't explain it in the course of five minutes, it's just not worth the time. Yep. So second observation, some students spent time making their own fatigue index score based on a weighted average of other measured variables, and they just didn't have a whole lot of justification beyond that. So I think this is fine and novel, but a natural question from the judge's perspective would be, why did you choose this particular set of weights and not some other set of weights? 
So as a contestant, you really need to be able to say the weights were optimized for something. So for example, you could say the weights were selected such, a, such that the index score would correlate best with reported effort and training or distance ran during the game. Um, you kind of just need some kind of justification for any new variables that are created. Yeah, I can see how the time crunch leads teams to do things that maybe are unjustified, but you're right, it should not be an excuse for making unsupported decisions in, in their analysis. And again, I think if they had more time, they probably wouldn't have done that. But yep. yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you think the question asks us to understand fatigue better, and there's not really good data for it. Should we just be making our own index to do a better job? Third suggestion, don't trust the data. So I actually think the data have had enough flaws at previous data fest that students have done remarkably well on this front. But it's such an important thing that I want to bring it up again, because it is something I worry about when I have my own students work on data projects, their own data projects, just because there's you know, once you have the data, sometimes the students want to just go forth and start analyzing. But there's a lot of things that you can gain from just spending a solid chunk of time visualizing, exploring the data before you get to doing any particular research question. At the competition, for example, the students quickly discovered that the GPS data was really, really unreliable. Players were sometimes crossing city boundaries during the course of a game. Oh, that, that is not good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. And, and it's good that they had realized it and didn't actually end up using the GPS data. Yep. And finally, uh, just to round this out, my last suggestion is think about the data, pro data set provider as a client you are consulting for. So if you find yourself heading into a ton of side explorations that don't directly help your client in some way, it's just not worth your time. And this kind of dictates what should go into your slides and your presentation as well. So for example, like sometimes teams would make these beautiful data visualizations of where the teams had their games. And beautiful as these plots were, it's hard to think about how they are actually useful in terms of being concrete, actionable insights. And likewise, it was hard to feel impressed by a slide that had a table of prediction accuracies broken down by fold in tenfold cross-validation. Uh, it's, it's a lot of numbers, and they're, just, they're really just numbers that tell how good the model fits the data at the end of the day. So it would have been better to actually talk about what's interesting about the model. And just to round that out, I think conclusion slides with just bullet points of text and no stats and no plots are actually really underrated. I think it helps to leave your audience with a sense of what's the important takeaway. And we kind of try to do that here when we, when we structure our podcasts as well to make sure we, we repeat and we um, remove the numbers when we talk about the important points. As we wrap up, can we finally say we are super proud of our undergraduate students who competed and took home a prize. So um, the Yaleys, Mark Torres, uh, Michael Curcio, and Daniel Zhao won the prize for most innovative approach. Totally. I'm so proud of them. And, and really, many thanks to all the organizers and sponsors of DataFest nationwide. Um, computer science students have always had their hackathons, but data competitions, they're still relatively new. And I think of them as being one of the best ways for our students to get real experience in working on real world data problems. Yeah, and if you think you might be interested in hosting a local data fest at your institution in the future, we'll actually link the ASA's website that has a how-to guide um, for, for setting one of these up. Um, so there's a, a link in the left menu called 
ASA data fest in a box that tells you how to do it. And your local undergrads will definitely thank you for it. Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico in September of 2017 and was an intense and deadly Category 5 hurricane with almost 3,000 people estimated killed in Puerto Rico. As you might imagine, the hurricane resulted in a number of Puerto Rican residents leaving the island. Getting an estimate, however, of the number of people leaving and where they are going can be challenging, especially in real time. Well, it turns out Facebook data may be able to help with this, according to a recent article posted on sciencenews.org. This sort of migration behavior can be really important for understanding the long-term impact of the hurricane on Puerto Rico, along with figuring out recovery efforts. Yes, indeed. And the official, that is the non-Facebook data estimate of how many left Puerto Rico, um, is close to 160,000 residents, um, and they relocated during the year following the hurricane. Um, so just as a side note, the current population estimate of Puerto Rico is around 3.2 million. So you can put that 160,000 residents in, in context. And while the, the Facebook data estimate suggested an increase of about 185,200 Puerto Ricans moving to the U.S. mainland, between October 2017 and January 2018. And this actually isn't too far off from that official estimate of 160,000. Yeah, it's actually quite close. So how was the Facebook data used for getting these estimates and, and what data exactly were used? Mm. Uh, yes, yes, that is a good question. So um, the estimates are from a paper preprint pre pre led by Professor Monica Alexander from the University of Toronto. Um, she's in statistics and sociology where um, they consider Facebook data for estimating the migration out of Puerto Rico due to Hurricane Maria. And they use Facebook ads manager tool to get their data. So apparently this sort of data is free to those who use it for purposes other than creating target ads. That's good to know. It could be an interesting source of data for, for us to study for all sorts of applications. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so this, uh, the ads manager data provide the sort of demographic information you might imagine a company developing targeted ads might be interested in using. And uh, it happens to also include place of origin, which is important in this context. So Alexander and her collaborators focused on the mainland part of the U.S., in January of 2018 and investigated changes in the population of people from Puerto Rico. Of course, all these data and estimates of population changes are going to be imperfect since they're restricted to Facebook users, which isn't necessarily representative even of the population of interest, or in this case, Puerto Ricans. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and using these sorts of social media data for you know, for other natural disasters, for other countries, can lead to problems in social media usage will vary based on the country. And so coming up with good estimates of whatever the quantity of interest is using non-random samples is, is a, a challenge. Um, Alexander also notes that one cannot simply use the raw Facebook data anyway. Um, so apparently there can be changes to the ads manager program that can make it look like there are fluctuations that are not real. So they ended up defining a control sample of visitors to the United States consisting of visitors who are traveling, likely not as a result of Hurricane Maria. 
Uh, so these are people who were just coming, say, for tourism or for business um, from, from some, of the, some other countries of, of origin. Yes, exactly. And, and that includes visitors from places like Australia, Austria, Canada, China, France, you know, the, the usual suspects. I see, I see. So fluctuations that are present in both the control group and the Puerto Rico group could be due to changes in the ads manager. And meanwhile, if there are changes only in the Puerto Rico group, but not in the control group, that could reflect actual migration changes. Yes, yeah. So that seems to be the right idea. Um, they use a technique known as difference in differences for this. So for the Puerto Rican group, they look at the proportional change in migration between January 2018 and October 2017, and then subtract the analogous difference for their control group. So they estimated an increase of 17% of Puerto Ricans visiting the U.S. mainland between October 2017 and January 2018, which is how they ultimately got the 185,200 estimate previously noted. Do they have any idea where all these Puerto Ricans maybe went in the mainland? Uh, yes, yes. So um, they have the migration estimates broken down by state visited, age, and sex. Um, they found that most went to Florida, New York, and Pennsylvania, with, um, with Florida having the largest increase of 21.6%, or that, uh, that's about 65,400 people across the period studied, and apparently the largest increase in terms of age group was for 15 to 30-year-olds, and in general, there were more men migrating than women. Hmm. So they also found that the increase in the Puerto Rican population in the mainland U.S. dropped by March of 2018, which they suspect could suggest that um, many of those visitors um, just returned to Puerto Rico. Oh, that's interesting. Well, we know there are a number of potential issues with using Facebook or other social media data. Um, we talked a little bit about that already. Were other sources of data like flight data considered as well when thinking about migration here? So the researchers do consider other sources of data as comparison, um, such as flight data, cell phone records, um, port authority data, and, um, and the American Community Survey. Um, Alexander and co-authors suggest that these estimates are consistent with their Facebook-derived estimates, but they, so they did not actually use that information in coming up with their estimate. Um, so, so then we might ask, you know, wh why use the Facebook data at all if we have all these other sources? And, um, and they note that um, there's potential for retaining more detailed information with the Facebook data, such as the demographic data we already noted. Um, so ultimately, they, they suggest that social media data can be a nice complement to these other options. I'm always open to hearing about how we can use social media for good for a change. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any questions or suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. That's databytes with a Y. And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.